thinking about ducks in a row really quacks me up. Welcome to a special spooky episode of the Mutant Musings Podcast. It's the middle of October 2020, and we'll be discussing Pixie Strikes Back with a side of Dracula. I'm your host, Jonathan, and with me as always is my pixie chick, Patty. Here's your reminder to leave us a comment on this episode's webpage on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and follow us on Twitter at mutant musings. You need to follow us on social media in order to get the full mutant musings experience. What exactly is this full mutant musings experience, you ask? Deep love for an Australian man who sets things on fire? Admiration for a redhead who gives no fucks? No fucks about broccoli people, unhealthy affection for a large armored crocodile, sexual submission to big sword blonde lady, a desire to get high on pixie's dust, all the best X-Men are women. Except Emma Frost. No, especially Emma Frost. No. Yes. No! Yes, and the rare random Spider-Man panel. And speaking of fucks and broccoli, hey, maybe fucking broccoli is how we can repopulate the broccoli people population. No. So many broccoli people lost their lives, and we should do our parts by fucking broccoli to make more of them. The broccoli people got what they deserved. Doesn't fucking broccoli sound pretty explicit? Gene already fucked all the broccoli. Well, there's your explicit content warning. How you doing, Patty? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yep. That's all you got? I Good got- talk. Yeah, I uh, got to play some Final Fantasy IX today, so that was fun. Uh-huh. So maybe I'll play some more later. All right. All right. That sounds like plans. Yep. Like weekend plans. I'm so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you also got a bug bite on your foot? That's interesting. <laughs> it did. It is not fun. Not very comfortable. Y'all should tell Patty not to scratch at it, because that's how it gets infected, and that's how it gets worse. How do you... It doesn't get infected. Patty, if you scratch it and you have, like, dirt under your fingernails or something, it can get infected. Ugh. Like, how do I get a mosquito bite in October in in New Jersey, where it is cold? You hate shoes. You're incredibly anti-shoe. <laughs> Everybody knows this. Not Not in my house, though. I always wear socks. Well, I don't know. I mean, mosquitoes, I guess they can bite through a sock. Ugh. Um... I once had one bite through my my boxers when I was, I mean, okay, so listen, when I was uh, a stupid youth, I was, I I would wear, you know, these ripped jeans and this one pair had a rip like in the back of the leg. And so I got uh, a mosquito bite at the bottom of my butt and it's my own fault. I understand that. But, but yeah, so it bit like through my boxers. So I'm assuming it could bite through a sock. I don't know. But don't scratch it, Patty. Don't tell me what to do. My body, my choice. Just keep... Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> Just keep drinking your drink. And if you drink enough right now, you're not even going to feel that mosquito bite anymore. You're not even... You get... You just you drink a little... Turned. <laughs> you just drink a little bit more. You won't even feel your feet. It'll be... Good. It'll be fine. We got our monsters and margaritas this episode. Oh, There's... I don't have any margarita. I had to get a... Uh... I didn't feel like going to the store, so I had this like uh, <laughs> pre-made mudslide thing. Uh-huh. So that's what I'm drinking. So it's like it's like a it's like a yahoo, but uh, boozy. <laughs> Boozhoo. There's Booze your name. Who. Boozhoo. And speaking of mudslide, we're going to be talking about rock slide a little bit later. Isn't that funny how things work out? Yeah, that's a coincidence. All right. 
So, uh, so yeah, so we're talking about Pixie Strikes Back. If you've never read this, you need to go read this. This comes with like the highest recommendation. I love this miniseries so much. Even though it has like a really bad rating online. Just ignore that. Which is stupid. I don't know who the fuck would give this a bad rating. I don't understand how anybody in the world can exist and not like Pixie. Like, I don't, I, I legitimately don't know X-Men fans who dislike Pixie. I feel like that's never a comment that comes up. Like, oh, hater. Oh, she's stupid. Like, no, that's just, that's not a thing that happens. Well, probably they also know they're going to get jumped if they say that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, Pixie's great. And uh, and this miniseries, so it's a four-issue miniseries from 2010, and this was like prime Pixie time. Like the late prime 2000- Pixie time. Prime Pixie time, exactly. Uh, it was like the late 2000s, early 2010s was literally prime Pixie time. Um, she was in a lot of things. She had this miniseries. It was a great time to be alive. And this miniseries was written by Catherine Eminen, who did another miniseries, uh, Wolverine and Jubilee. This was back when Jubilee was still a vampire. Um, she's written some other stuff too, but that's that's the X-related thing that that I saw. Uh, she's married to Stuart Eminen, who is an amazing artist. He did Next Wave. Um, but the the artist of this miniseries was Sarah Pacelli. Yeah. This was early in her career, uh, but she went on to do a bunch of Guardians of the Galaxy and a whole bunch of Spider-Man. And also working on this book on colors was Christina Strain, who uh, wrote the last volume of Generation X, which was gone too soon. That was such a great series, and I wish that had been longer ongoing. Um, but yeah, she did the colors. So a whole bunch of women who were who worked on this book. I don't remember the letterer's name. It was some dude. He did a fine job, but he's a dude, so we don't care. Editors on this book were Daniel Ketchum and Nick Lowe, but again, they're dudes, so we don't really care. But this is awesome. You know, you have this miniseries about Pixie written by a bunch of women, and that's great. Yeah, girls get it done. <laughs> All right. So yes, this is a great miniseries. It opens it opens in a very cute way. Uh like the first page is just is just a bunch of them in like a public high school setting. No, don't don't say a bunch of them. Tell us who's there. Because <laughs> this is like a list of almost all of my favorite girls at the time. Almost? Almost all of them. Patty, so- why do you hate blindfold? What no, no I'm saying that have- there are additional girls. Um, so we have, uh, Mercury X-23 and Pixie, obviously. Uh, those are my favorites on this team. And then, uh, uh-huh. also Blindfold is there. Uh-huh. Uh, and Armor. Yeah. So that's, uh, we, the, that's the team we get in this book. Yeah, Patty doesn't care for them too much. You can tell by the way she said that. She, she doesn't <laughs> care about Blindfold or Armor very much. They were no. just kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the thing is, is like, so they're all there. And, like, the captions let us know who they are uh, because they don't completely look like them. Like I said, this is a this is a public high school, and they're all dressed like fucking high schoolers. And Mercury doesn't have the silver skin, and she's wearing a cheerleader outfit. And so, yeah, so immediately something is a little off, but it's still, it's very cute. And uh, Pixie says, if we don't get our ducks in a row, we're going to regret it. And Laura says, I dislike that expression. No one tells a duck what to do. <laughs> and then Cecily says, 
That's not true. I was at this hotel once and the ducks came right out of the elevator and climbed these little steps into a fountain. So cute. <laughs> and like this book had me right then. I, I'm I'm already 100 fucking thousand percent sold on it. All right. All right. Well, I'm going to tell the story. If I have to edit it out, I'll edit it out if it goes too long. But I'm going to tell my fucking duck story. All right. I love ducks. I love ducks. Uh, so my grandparents had this house down the shore, Jersey Shore, not like the show, like the actual location, for years when I was growing up. And we'd go down there like every summer, you know, spend a bunch of time down there. And it was great. It was right on the lagoon and there were always ducks and I loved the ducks and I fed them bread. And I know you're not supposed to feed ducks bread, but I was little <laughs> and my grandparents weren't the smartest people. They voted for Reagan. So <laughs> I, was told, I was told that I could feed uh, ducks bread. So that's what I did. But anyway, I love ducks. Okay. So this was, this happened in like 1996 or 1997. I was like 12 or 13 years old. Uh, my grandparents and I went out to dinner one night. We came back home. Uh, we come up the ramp. Uh, and go to the deck in the back. And I don't know why there were these white buckets filled with dirt in them. We weren't growing plants. We weren't doing anything specific with them. I don't remember what they were for, if they even had a purpose. But they were by the back door uh, to the house. And when we come up the ramp onto the back deck, there's a female duck just sitting and chilling on top of one of these buckets. She's just sitting there, and she is not moving. You would think a duck would run the fuck away when people are approaching, and this duck did not move. In fact, she started hissing. So there's a fact, for those of you who don't know, ducks can hiss. But anyway, she didn't move. We went inside, went about our business. It was, it was, you know, I mean, it was great. It's wonder Who is sad at a duck being present? Nobody. I, we were all very happy that this duck was there, and it was just, it was great. We went about the rest of our day, went to sleep. Next day, mama duck is missing. And we know she's a mama duck because when she's missing, there's eggs in this bucket. There are fucking duck eggs. She laid her eggs in this little bucket. This is amazing. It was am of course she came back. She came back and she would sit on them and she'd spend a lot of time there. And, you know, she, she sort of got used to us. She would still hiss if we got too close. But for the most part, coming in and out, sitting on the deck, she would just chill. Everything was fine. Uh, my grandmother even put water out there for her that she would drink. It was great. So, I mean, what could we do? You know, I mean, we, we came home, came back home to, to northern New Jersey, you know, spent some time here and then went back down and Mama Duck was still there. Mama Duck was, was still there. Everything's okay. Haven't hatched yet. So everything was fine. Life went on as normal until one day, one fucking day, I'm sitting out on the deck and Mama Duck is gone. All of a sudden, there are now ducklings. There are ducklings in this little bucket. And there were uh, five or six of them. I don't remember the exact number. It was either five or six. There are little fucking ducklings hatched out of their little fucking eggs. And they're just peeping in the fucking bucket. Right? And I can hear the mama duck quacking. Because there's only one duck around that's quacking her fucking head off. And I go look. And it is the mama duck that's down in the lagoon all the way away from the ducklings. And she's just quacking. And the little ducklings are peeping. And the fucking five or six ducklings just drop right out of the bucket. They drop right out of the fucking bucket. And I want to grab them. Like, I, I want to take them. I want to pet them. I want to hold them. I want to love them. I want to give them to their mother. And my grandmother says no, because they're going to imprint on you. They're going to imprint on you. And also, your scent is going to get on them. And then the mother duck is going to reject them. And I'm like, fuck, what kind of blessing and a curse am I living right now? <laughs> I see all these these cute baby ducklings and I cannot touch one. 
But so they're running around peeping, and so the deck isn't very high. There were a couple of steps going down. I was trying to shoo them towards the ramp because I figured that would be easier, but no, they fall down the steps, and now they're on the sand, and they're running around, and they're peeping, and they're trying to get, because they know where Mama Duck is. Nature's fucking amazing, especially fucking duck nature, because they know where Mama is. They can hear her in the lagoon, and they're trying to get to her, but there's this bulkhead that's like, I don't know, somewhere around 8 to 10 inches high, maybe? So it's like they can't get over this this bump from the sand to where the wood is and into the lagoon. There's a fucking barrier in their way. So what the fuck do we do? We have some fucking just wooden planks lying around. So I try to set up a ramp for them. So there's a, it's about a foot or two long, this wooden plank, and I lay it from the sand up to the top of the bulkhead, and I'm trying to shoo them onto it. I'm trying to fucking herd little ducklings to get on this piece of wood so they can get up and fall down into the fucking lagoon, and they don't get it. They do not understand. They will not get on this wooden plank. And fucking, finally, finally, one of the cutest fucking things happens. They start climbing on each other's backs. They climb over and on top of each other, and they get on top of the bulkhead, and one by one... They just plop. They fall right down into the fucking lagoon with their fucking mother. And all of them make it. And then there's the last one. And it can't get up by itself. So my grandmother gave me something to wrap it in as I picked it up. And I, like, held it up to my face. And it just, like, looked at me. It was the cutest fucking thing. And I just dropped it in the lagoon. I dropped it in the lagoon. This was one of the the cutest and best experiences of my life. And I will never forget, I will never forget this. And when there was all this dialogue at the beginning of Pixie Strikes Back about a duck, I, I thought of my duck story. And I was, I was torn whether or not I should tell my duck story on the podcast. There are probably people who are bored, but whatever. I like my duck story. Got to relive it. There's my duck story. I'm, I'm jealous of you. I don't have a duck story. Patty, what kind of insurance do you have? Oh, I have Aflac. (laughs) (laughs) That's my duck story. That's Patty's duck story. (laughs) You gotta say it in the duck voice. Aflac. (laughs) Right. What's the point of having Aflac insurance if you can't say it in the duck voice? All right, now we got our duck stories out of the way. All right, so so anyway. So yeah, so, so the five of them, they're in high school... They look like quote-unquote regular high schoolers. They go into uh, the bathroom, and all of a sudden, a fight breaks out in the hallway, and, like, one dude gets hit in the face with a bat, and everything's bloody, and his face is all fucking twisted. His teeth are broken. It's really gross. And so, like, if we already didn't know that something was wrong here by the girls all looking different, like, something is very wrong. Dude just got hit in the face with a bat for, like, no fucking reason. I thought it was very funny when it cuts to the inside of the bathroom is that armor can't go to the bathroom when people are talking. I can relate. I used to have to wait (laughs) until people left the bathroom to go in the bathroom, especially if it was only like two stalls. It felt very awkward. That is very awkward. It's like you're, you're fucking like, I don't know. It's like you're in the same car, you know, when it's happening with like just this very thin divider. But I mean, like, as a dude, we have the urinals. Yeah, I was gonna say, you, I mean, typically dudes don't use the stalls unless they're shitting, right? Right, but, but it's, for me, it's still difficult. Because then, then sometimes there is no barrier of protection. And it's kind of like, all right, let me angle myself a little bit this way and hope this guy angles himself a little bit that (laughs) way. 
Have you ever um, had a guy pee on you? <laughs> Patty, what the f- I mean, yeah, but not in the bathroom. <laughs> no. Patty, no. I have not had a guy pee on me. Patty, have you had a guy pee on you? <laughs> Did we get that out of our system now? Yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, it was very funny. Armor was like yelling at them to shut up so she could go. And so then they had their little conversation. And, and it was weird because Cecily looks at the mirror and is like, oh my God. And she's like, oh, my hair's all messed up. But then there's a shot of the mirror and the reflection of the girls is them in their ex uniforms looking as they normally do. So we don't know where actually they are, but something something is wrong. And so we cut to Rock Slide. And Anol, is that how I'm going to say it now? Anol? Fine. Yeah, I'll say fine. Anol. He, you can only pronounce it Anol if he's from the Anol region of France. <laughs> Otherwise, he's just sparkling anal. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Rockside and Anol are in this. That's great. They're trying to find the girls. So they knock on the, the door of the girls' bathroom and Blindfold is in there. This is on Utopia. This is when they were also on the fucking asteroid. Uh, 2010. Uh, but blindfold's in there. Uh, they can't get in. The door is locked. Blindfold isn't moving to unlock it, and Rockslide knocks the fucking door in. And Anol is trying to talk to Blindfold, and Rockslide finds a tampon. <laughs> he <laughs> a tampon. This was hilarious. He's like, "Is this the girls' washroom? Oh, dude, this is so wrong." <laughs> <laughs> I love Rockslide. He's such a good boy. He is such a good boy. He was such a good boy, Rip. Rip. Too soon, too soon. I know. So back in this quote-unquote high school, there's a big fight in the cafeteria, and in one panel we see that one of the dudes is a demon, and then a lunch lady fucking stabs Pixie in the back. And this is when it cuts to what's really happening, quote-unquote. We see that Pixie is trapped in what looks like a lab, and there's a demon that's making her drink something. And she's just talking about wanting to call her mom. So we don't know where the rest of them are. It looks like Blindfold is on Utopia, but sort of trapped in between realities. And Pixie is locked up in a lab. Um, and this is all some sort of a hallucination or something. Uh, so Kurt and Psylocke are hanging out when suddenly this fairy lady poofs in and wants to know where her, where her daughter is. And she says that her name is Mrs. Gwyn. And she's just trying to find out where, where Pixie is. And neither Kurt nor Psylocke can give her a straight answer. So she smacks Kurt and she's getting impatient. And Kurt brings up how Pixie's probably fine. She comes from good stock or something like that. Her father was a coal miner, correct? And Mrs. Gwyn is like, nonsense. And she kind of just goes off on her own. So the girls are suddenly being chased by demons in school. And then Megan's wings appear. And she's like, am I a demon too? Oh my god. And then like the final panel is this big demon showing up. Yeah, but like seeing uh, Mrs. Gwyn, it was kind of obvious just from seeing her that she's <laughs> clearly Pixie's <laughs> mom or related to her somehow. Yeah. She got the black scleria. Sclera, Sclera, Scleridermis. 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 
That's those are words. Right? I don't know. She's got the black eyes and the pink hair and the elf ears. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't understand though. How did blindfold go from like this fantasy world to a bathroom? Was it because she like realized that this isn't right, and so she like went to the real world? You never fell asleep on the toilet and like had <laughs> dreams and then just woke up and you're like, oh, perfect. Good timing. Um, no. Nobody nobody ever fell asleep on the fucking toilet? No. No? I woke up in the shower once. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I used to drink very heavily, very often. Um, the only time in my life that I know of that I, I sleepwalked uh, was a whole bunch of years ago. Um, you know, I, I went to bed drunk as fuck as I used to do. And, uh, when I came to, I had, you know, had the sense to take off my, all of my clothes. And yes, I was in the shower naked. It was three <laughs> o'clock in the morning, dried myself off, put my jammies back on, went back to bed. <laughs> That's a fun surprise. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I like the shower. Uh, shower's a good time, but you know, I didn't really need one at, at 3am. Uh, anyway. But yeah, no, definitely. Mrs. Gwynn was was definitely, um, you know, before she even said who she was, you're like, oh, okay, this has got to be somebody related to Pixie. Um, but I love Mrs. Gwynn, uh, just like the old timey way that she that she talked, and like I know that, like obviously I'm not very familiar with like British slang, but I did recognize the word numpty as a derogatory term that's used in Britain. She's very well spoken. Um, and it's, it's to the point of like, you know, humor. It's like, if her father was a coal miner, then I'm the president of the Porth Madog Rotary Association. Like, that's like actually dialogue that she said. And it was very funny. But what we're already being, being clued into is that Pixie doesn't come from where we've been led to believe. And also something is, is clearly very wrong. You know, I mean, she, she's, she's missing. This woman who claims to be her mom is looking for her. There are demons involved. A bunch of the other girls are missing. So it was a really good setup. But then in issue two, suddenly, uh, the girls are on the back of a scooter in an alleyway. And this guy is about to attack them when Pixie says, Pixie Dust, Viola, instead of, <laughs> instead of voila. And I don't know if that was a lettering mistake or if that was just Pixie being Pixie. I would believe either one of those. Yeah, I was, uh, the first time I read this too, I was like, wait, did I... Like, did I read that wrong or is that typed wrong? So I read it again and I was like, no, it's definitely typed wrong. It's definitely Viola. <laughs> but like, I was like, but if she said Viola, like, I feel like Armor or X-23 would have said something. Um, I think you're you're giving them too much credit. Considering you don't even, you, you don't even like Armor. I, I didn't say I don't like her. She's just not like my favorite. Uh-huh. I have like 10 favorites and she's not one of those. That's fucked up, Patty. I'm sorry. <laughs> Is she on your top ten? I'm. I'm not. Listen, we're not talking about my lists. Okay. okay. Apparently, okay. Patty. Apparently, Patty keeps a list. All right. Uh huh. I just like all of the X Men, but Patty keeps a special list, and Armor <laughs> didn't make the cut. <laughs> all right, but the girls got invited to a private Dazzler show, and so they go into this club, and like a bunch of the people look weird. Uh, one of them mentions how everybody's like ugly or something. 
the coloring is really good because it really looks like a club. Like everything's red, then everything's yellow, then everything's blue. The people do look weird. Um, people are like dancing. Somebody's fucking like, I don't know, playing with fucking, what the fuck would you call them? And like hanging from the ceiling. Oh, like, dra- like rope art or something. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, this was like drapes. Yeah, something like that. Uh, but then suddenly Pixie is prom queen. And this was a cute little panel. She's sitting there. She's got the sash. Big banner says prom queen. It's adorable. Yes. But we see now that everybody around, there are demons and there are skulls on the floor. She oh, looks no. adorable. Metal. It's a metal themed prom. <laughs> I would have gone to my prom if it was metal oh. themed because I was metal as fuck. Aw. I went to Cheesecake Factory. Instead of prom? Yes. Patty, that is, you made the right decision. <laughs> I was like, why would I spend, like, you know, $100 plus, you know, like, a few hundred dollars on a dress that I'm going to wear one time, Yeah, you know, and listen to music that I don't like with people that I don't like for hours <laughs> on end. <laughs> and, like, spend a few hundred dollars for the limo, too, and everything. I was like, no, it doesn't, I, I feel like I can do better things with my time. Yeah, And, um, you know, I had a few people who were like, you're going to regret that decision for the rest of your life. And to this day, I do not regret it. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. I am going to spend hundreds of dollars on a dress for you that you are only going to wear once. Only, <laughs> you are only allowed to wear it once. To be sure, I'm burning it afterwards. I'm going to spend hundreds of dollars on a limo to drive us to Cheesecake Factory, where we're going to spend... <laughs> We're going to spend hundreds of dollars eating cheesecake and listening to metal. How about that? I don't know if there are many vegan options at Cheesecake Factory. At the time, I was just vegetarian. Patty, we're going to BYOC, all right? We're going <laughs> to bring your own cheesecake to Cheesecake Factory, and we're going to listen to Amon Marth. How's that? All right. That's awesome. <laughs> You're going to be the prom queen. You think I'm joking. You just wait and see, Patty. You just wait and see. All right, anyway. Yeah, but anyway, Pixie is very happy that she's prom queen. The the girls realize that something is wrong. Duh, there's fucking demons around. But she's and she starts getting mad at the others. She's like, my friends would be happy to just go along with whatever fun idea popped into my my head. My friends would want to see me be happy. Uh, and we find out who that big demon was that we saw at the end of the first issue because he's back. His name is Saturnine. Not to be confused with Saturnine. Right. Not not as in Opal Luna Saturnine, just as in Saturnine. Yes, there's a big distinction there. Yeah, one has an I and one has a Y, like Cypher and Cypher, right? Yep. 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 <laughs> I mean, that's more of a difference than Angel and Angel. <laughs> that's true. But anyway, so so he's got to be the demon that's in charge because he's big. <laughs> but this other demon tells him, tells Saturnine that they're feeding Pixie her own magic but she keeps restructuring the illusion herself. We don't really know what the plan is. Saturnine just says that there's a dark place in Megan's soul and he's going to pry it open. So back on Utopia, Anol and Rockslide bring Blindfold to Emma because they know that something's wrong. The girls are missing and Blindfold is talking about trouble and Emma is very annoyed. And Emma's already annoyed when Kurt teleports in um, and she's even more annoyed. Uh, And he says that Pixie's mom showed up. So Emma tries to get answers from Ruth. And my first thought was like, all right, well, why don't you just fucking, 
like, you know, just use your telepathy and see what Ruth is seeing. And then I remember what Ruth sees and how she sees things. And they don't look like how we see things, obviously. So I caught myself in my own stupid thought because she couldn't actually say exactly what was going on or telepathically show anybody exactly what was going on. So anyway, so so now we've got Emma and Kurt and Psylocke and a Nolan Rockslide, and they're searching the girls' rooms, and Rockslide finds an invitation to a Dazzler show. So I was like, "All right, fine, we're gonna we'll we'll go find them." Could you imagine how awkward it would be to be? I mean, okay, so those those four girls are sharing a room because you see the two sets of bunk beds. Mm-hmm. How awkward it would be to have Rockslide like prying through your things, like looking at your underwear drawer, finding your Hitachi wand. <laughs> Patty, oh my Jonathan. god! Oh my god! Yeah, I would turn all kinds of shades of red if Rockslide <laughs> found my Hitachi wand, Patty. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I I don't know, he, Patty. He wouldn't know what to do with it. He wouldn't know what it was. It wouldn't matter. He saw the tampon. That's true. And, and he I... didn't realize what that was at first either. I guess a knoll would be. No, I feel like he would know, but he just wouldn't say anything. Emma would know. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, because she owns every model in every color. <laughs> Emma? <laughs> she has a diamond-encrusted Hitachi wand. Uh, yeah, duh. All right, anyway. So then we cut to uh, Mrs. Gwynn looking for somebody. There's like a, a panel of a graveyard, a panel of some, you know, high-class party or something. And then she walks into this mansion, and it's the Mastermind sisters. They're fighting each other. Uh, one of them calls the other a bimbo, and the other one says remedial mathlete. And that is one of the best insults I've ever heard in my life. And so Mrs. Gwynn says, Regan, Martinique, I see you've been making your father proud, protecting the Wingard fortune, putting the mine back in masterminds. She tells them that they've been usurped. And then there's an image of Megan reaching out to Saturnine literally in the palm of his hand. And somehow this is all connected. I don't know why. At this point, you don't know why Mrs. Gwen would be looking for the Mastermind sisters. Why she would say to them, you've been usurped. And then cut to an image of Megan. But there are some clues here. Um, but nothing's explicitly stated yet. But I really like the second issue. I love the scene in the clubs. Things are starting to get like explicitly really fucked up now, you know, because we're seeing all the demons. We're seeing that Pixie is is definitely being held against her will and being forced. Her own Pixie dust is being forced on her. The X-Men are searching for her. She's missing. Now the Mastermind sisters are getting involved with Mrs. Gwyn, and we don't even know the whole story yet. So things were very interesting. I thought the pacing of this book was really nice, and um, this raised a whole bunch of questions already. And it, um, you know, I mean, it raised the question of Mrs. Gwynn right in the first issue, but now the Mastermind sisters are involved, and it raised even more questions. So it was just very interesting reading through each issue. Yeah, I love Lady Mastermind, Regan, the blonde one. Yeah? You don't like the brunette so much? I don't really remember her too much. I'm kind of upset (laughs) that we never actually saw Dazzler. (laughs) <laughs> i kept i kept expecting her to show up i know it wasn't like a real dazzler show but at least like have like a a hallucination of her singing or something you know and she like not even a faker was there <laughs> i found that really disappointing no dazzler impersonator 
Was that was that just me? <laughs> no, uh, no demons dresses, Dazzler. Right? That would have been funny. Yeah, <laughs> Dazzler demons. That would have been great. I think. I think. Yeah, yeah. You're onto something, Patty. You're onto something. So, if there's a Saturn Nine, what happened to Saturn One through Saturn Eight? Would that make them remedial mathletes? Make sure you vote Pixie for prom queen while we take a quick commercial break. Trick or treat. treat. Oh, hello there, bubs. Well, don't you all look spooky? Except Spider-Man over there. Listen, kid, Spider-Man is a pain in my hairy Canadian asshole. You don't want to be a pain in my... Where's the candy, mister? Oh, I've got something for you that's much better than candy. Check out this website, geekade.com. Hmm, looks like there's podcasts and articles about video games, comic books, wrestling, Transformers, and anime. Wow, geekade.com sure is neat, but we still want candy. Geekade has YouTube and Twitch channels. Geekade.com has something for every geek. Yeah, that's great, but, uh, candy. Plus, an entire section of Geekade is dedicated to horror. Listen, you hairy little bitch, we're freezing our asses off and it's late, so make with the candy already. No one talks to the Wolverine like that. Wolverine isn't real, that's just a costume. Santa isn't real, that's just a costume. <laughs> Check out geekade.com today. So in issue three, so it sounds like Saturnine's plan is to get the attention of Mrs. Gwyn. He he wants her to find Pixie. That's the point of this. And the girls are all being kept in some, what seems like an abandoned building. They're all sedated. Their unconscious bodies are like in the basement. Um, and Saturnine wants something from Pixie and says that her mother can draw it out. So in the mansion, the Mastermind sisters are trying to fuck with Mrs. Gwyn and it's not working. But she says that she wants them to help her find their half-sister. Yes. Yeah, half-sister. So the Mastermind sisters are not just Regan and Martinique, but also Pixie. Pixie is related to them. And that will be brought up so many times over the past 10 years. Yes. Every time that Pixie is on panel, they mention that Jason Wingard is her father. Just kidding. That's never happened. Oh. It's a retcon that nobody has ever done anything with. <laughs> it was mentioned once 10 years ago and then forgotten. Patty, I remembered, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I remembered. I have never forgotten this. Remember the Alamo, Jonathan. What does that even mean, Patty? I don't know. I just know we have to remember it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one of the sisters asks if old Frosty Knickers knows, and Mrs. Gwynn says no. The X-Men think Pixie is the daughter of a coal miner and the town toddy, which is British slang for a sexually attractive woman with a connection to the upper class. I figured it meant, like, the town who are... <laughs> for the upper class, I guess. The upper class who are... Wow, way to whore shame, Patty. Way to, way to toddy shame. Shame in those toddies. Left and right all willy-nilly. Dude, wait. Like, every time my mom is sick, she has this drink, and it's called a hot toddy. Yeah, that's where that, that term comes from. That's a sexy, where it comes from? Sexy the British drink woman. drink is a sexy drink? 
No, I don't know if that's where it comes from. I don't. I, I, Patty, I had never heard the term hot toddy until I met you. Um, Aw, that's sweet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. But, yeah. So the X-Men don't know she's the daughter of a mutant and a fairy. Mrs. Gwynn wanted it this way. She was raised by her grandparents. Um, so anyway, so Laura wakes up in this basement. She punches a wall. Mercury and Armor wake up too, and they're like in really bad shape. Laura is really mad at Pixie, blaming her, but they they need to find a way to escape, obviously. Oh, and one been... of them is like, it's not her fault. She's been forced to drink her own Pixie dust. That's like making you drink your own pee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which uh, I think one of those is a little bit worse than the other. I don't know, Patty. I mean... Unless you're that guy, what's his name? Bear Grylls? Is that the guy's name? I have no idea what that is. That sounds like something you flip burgers on. <laughs> Hold on, let me look it up. <laughs> what? Um. Yeah, his name is Bear Grylls. He's that survival guy. He's on that show... Survival guy? Yeah, Man vs. Wilds, Running Wilds, <laughs> The <laughs> Islands with Bear Grylls, You vs. Wilds, The Islands, Eco Challenge, Get Out Alive with Bear Grylls. He's on a lot of those shows where, like, you're trapped on a mountain and you have to drink your own piss. <laughs> Patty, I don't watch piss-drinking shows normally. Okay, Jonathan, <laughs> I don't either, but, like, I'm aware of it. You have to be cultured. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> by drinking by drinking your own pee, just so you have a, a general oh, understanding so of what pee tastes like. Just so Listen, you know, I'm I'm not one to kink shame. That's a lie. I will kink shame the fuck out of anybody, but I will kink shame kink shame you if you drink your own pee. That's gross. Me specifically? No, <laughs> no, anybody. I'm not Patty. I'm not the exception. I don't like any of this conversation. I didn't, <laughs> Anyway, the X-Men find the venue uh, for this quote-unquote Dazzler show. It looks abandoned. It's dilapidated. The prom banner is, like, torn down. Pixie cries out, and it seems like Emma hears it, and so does Mrs. Gwyn and the Masterminds. So then the lesser demon tells Saturnine that the others have been away from the dust for hours and will be recovering. Unlike an idiot, Saturnine doesn't listen. He, he doesn't care. So Mrs. Gwen teleports the masterminds to Pixie's location and the X-Men arrive at the same time. And uh and yeah, so this was this was great. I like uh you know, I get where mom is coming from. She's mad that she couldn't trust the X-Men to take care of her daughter and she uh tried to figure out a, a way to do it on her own. Um I you know, I you you called it one of those retcons that hasn't been brought up and uh you're right, but I still like it. I think it's an interesting connection to the Mastermind Sisters. I really do, as silly as it is. The only thing is, is like, you know, they keep dancing around what Saturnine actually wants, and it's like a little silly. And, you know, when one of the lesser demons is like, oh, the others have been away from the dust for hours, they're going to be recovering, and it's just like, he doesn't care. I'm like, all right, man, well, obviously, like, you're not going to get what it is that you want because you're an idiot. What was it that he wanted? He wanted a sword, and we oh, get to okay. that finally towards the end of the final issue. Um, right. I mean, right. it did seem like you know a little bit of a, a weaker point, um, but 
by the end of the fourth issue, it's pretty inconsequential. You know, the biggest concern is whether or not Pixie is going to actually be okay. And this very interesting new information that we're getting, that her parents aren't actually who we were led, who we thought they were, who this real Mrs. Gwyn is, who is clearly a fairy, and that Jason Wingard is Pixie's actual dad. So in issue four, uh, all these demons are around. So the demons and the X-Men are fighting, but Kurt finds the doctor demon who has all this pixie dust in that. And when Kurt confronts this demon, the demon drops all the vats and they break. So all the fucking pixie dust is everywhere. And Kurt goes, look at all their little sparkles. It was very funny. <laughs> it was very funny. It was so cute. I want to try it. Patty, please don't do drugs. Jonathan. <laughs> Patty, stop getting... You're getting drunk and now you're thinking drugs are a good idea. This is what happens. This is why alcohol is a gateway drug. <laughs> drink, okay. monster, drink monster energy drink. No, my good heart hurts. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Not you. I mean everybody else. Oh, okay. Everybody else drink one if you don't have heart problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so this was great dialogue, too. When fucking uh, Mercury, X-23, and Armor are trying to get out of the basement, they're trying to find a way out, they're just fucking bullshitting with each other, and it's just, like, the most fun, clever fucking dialogue. And, and like, seriously. Like, I know, like, we, we recap a lot, and we get sidetracked, and we talk about a lot of bullshit on this podcast. What? Not me. <laughs> but they must be talking about you. Yes. Well, Patty, you are the draw to this podcast. It sure shit is not me. People don't oh, okay. listen for me. That's not true. This is very true. But but the dialogue was just so fun and so fucking clever. Mercury and Armor are talking about Big Bird because they mention uh, Mercury mentions Armor's code name and how she used to get made fun of by Wolverine for it. She's like, "No, I've made peace with it now." And they're like, "Oh, it's like it's like how Big Bird is is Big Bird, you know that like." His name is also describes him. And one of them is like, I love Sesame Street. And the other one goes, me too. And I'm like, this dialogue is so fucking good. But then I Googled it. And that's an actual episode. That is an episode that happened where Big Bird struggles with his name being Big Bird and wants to try out other names. That's that's genius. It's genius. The the references to Sesame Street are high class. They did their Sesame Street research. Yeah, I wonder if any they of know these... how to get. They know how to get how to get to Sesame Street. Oh my god! <laughs> I wonder if any of these people working on this book like had kids at the time or something, or just remember that one. I don't remember fucking any details about any episodes from Sesame Street. Um... If you put a gun to my head and say, "Patty, tell me one of the plots to Sesame Street," I'd be like. Pull the trigger, bitch. <laughs> Patty, Jesus fuck nobody put, nobody fucking put a gun to Patty's head <laughs> and or ask her questions about Sesame Street. Because Patty doesn't know how to get how to get to Sesame Street. Okay, oh my god. <laughs> Alright, anyway, what happened in the comic book? Alright, so so we find out what Saturnine wants. Saturnine wants Pixie's soul dagger to be bound with her mother's magic. So there's the fucking plan. Um, it's going to make a sword for him. And yeah, um, he was like a guard on like the road of lost souls. And he wanted to be like in charge. And so this fucking super big magical sword was going to like give him the power to do it. 
And that was it. That was the villainous motivation. So, okay. Oh, so Axe of Swords. Yep. Yep. Ten years years in the making. There you go, Patty. That sounds about right for Hickman. Starting to plant those seeds back in 2010. (laughs) Ten years later, Hickman's like, oh, no, sword. Yeah. (laughs) Sword has never, ever happened before in an X-Men comic. No sword, never. Never sword in X-Men comic, except one issue, Pixie Strikes Back, number four, 2010. Thank you, Catherine. Pixie making history. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, Pixie teleports over to Mrs. Gwynn, and Mrs. Gwynn says, look, these are your sisters. She's like, who's family? They're not family. They're... And then there's just like the blacked out sensor bar. And one of the one of the masterminds goes, nice. And the other one goes, that's a very big word. Uh, that was funny. Uh, Emma runs over to, like the, the four of them are talking. Pixie, Mrs. Gwen, and the mastermind sisters. And Emma runs over to Pixie. And Pixie knocks her the fuck out. One punch, man. One punch, man. One punch, comma, man. Woman. One punch, woman. My favorite part of this was when Pixie punched Emma. Patty, please stop. Jonathan, please. (laughs) So it looks like this was the plan. Pixie has a dagger. Mom has the magic. They merge it, becomes this big sword. And it's really funny because these panels, like, the Pixie fam is, like, really small. And Saturnine is really big. And, you know, Pixie just, like, hands it over. And, And Saturnine's very happy. And, you know, the X-Men are just, like, standing around and fucking Saturnine starts killing all the, the minions. And Rockslide is like, I love when someone else does my homework for me. <laughs> <laughs> so after he kills all of the minions, somebody says, like, oh, well, why don't you put that thing away? And he goes to, like, put it in his chest, you know, like, you know, where, where you put your soul sword, soul dagger, whatever. <laughs> It stabs him. He stabs himself with the real sword. This was a uh-huh. fucking This was a fucking illusion. This was the plan that they came up to take him out. That was it was kind of silly, but it was also dope. They tricked this fucking demon into stabbing himself. He kills himself. It was a real sword. That was so dope. Oh, so funny. But then fucking uh Laura and and Armor and Mercury find Kurt who has been just completely out of this entire fight because he is high as fuck, just laying on the ground with his ass up in the air. (laughs) (laughs) That was my favorite part, uh, other than punching Emma. Um, And they were, like, carrying him, and they're like, it's like carrying a big blue lasagna without the tray. (laughs) (laughs) So this was really funny. Then Laura attacks the Mastermind sister. She just leaps through the air. Die! And Megan... (laughs) Megan goes, no. And she she teleports the sisters away. And then Pixie cries on Emma. And she doesn't want to believe that Mastermind is her father. And her and mom have a talk. And mom is happy she's with the X-Men, is what it seems. But then Pixie thinks she's going to leave with her mom. And says, let me just say goodbye. And turns to say goodbye to the X-Men. And then Mrs. Gwen disappears. So... Yeah, that was fucked up. When 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 Megan turns around again, her mom is gone. And then, like, the final panel is just, like, her saying, like, bye, mom, and crying. And all of the X-Men that were there are, are standing, like, around her in the background. And it just ends on a really fucking sad note. 
So, I mean, again, this was this was a fan-fucking-tastic miniseries. Uh, I would highly recommend it if you're a Pixie fan. Even if you're not really a big Pixie fan, this was just the, the, the writing was, was funny. It was smart. Uh, the pacing was great. The cast was great. The revelations that it brought up were, were great. Everything about it was great. I had a couple of minor complaints. One was that we find out who Saturnine is and what's going on a little late uh, in the fourth issue. But this once once this was over and I had time to think about the miniseries, that was very inconsequential. It just seemed a little weird going through it. Also, I wasn't nuts about the art. I don't think it was bad. Um, I thought it was okay. Again, I think this was early in Sarah Pacelli's career. I think she is a, a really fucking good artist. Um, I think she's honed her skills and her craft and gotten better over time. Um, this was just a little early. And, you know, some of the some of it was like a little, uh, I want to say almost like a blobby and splotchy sort of. I don't know how to describe it. Um, it's just, you know, it wasn't the greatest, but it wasn't bad. Um, but a little reminiscent of Scotty Young is what I could see there. And this just goes primarily for like some of like the characters. But like the demons, the backgrounds, all of that were were like amazing. But you know, other than that, this was I, I don't this this was amazing, and it just it it really spoke to me about you know how you have biological family and how you have found family, and also how just because somebody is biologically related to you doesn't mean that that person is like real family. And also how just how things can hurt with family and how it can hurt to find out where you come from. So obviously Pixie was not raised by her biological mother and father. It was her grandparents. But still, you imagine that these were good people who did a good job raising her and and cared about her. And there was a lot here that I found myself identifying with because of my own family situation. You know, I was raised by my grandparents uh, not my parents. My parents were never married. They were never together. They were teenagers when when I was born, and I understand where where this where this pain comes from. Finding out, you know, who your biological family is, and feeling as if you've been abandoned. You know, even though her her and and it literally happened at the end. I like her mom teleported away at the very end, and you know, as fucked up as as that seems. And it does hurt her. And and I'm not trying to diminish that. Like, I understand how that feels. But she's also got the X-Men. She's got real friends. She's got real family, real people who care about her and can identify with her and take care of her. And again, I'm not saying that to diminish her pain and her feelings. I know what it's like to feel rejected by people who are your quote-unquote family but I also know the importance of friends and how that's more like found family, people that you can really rely on, you know? So this whole thing that with, uh, with Saturnine as the villain, to me, it was just more like a metaphor. You know, she, at the end, she literally had to face her, her biological family to battle her demons. She was with a mother who had lied to her and had abandoned her. Um, she was with these, two young women, the mastermind sisters, she knew who they were. She knew that they were awful. Finding out that she was related to them 
she then suddenly she finds you know she now she knows that she's the daughter of Jason Wingard, a mind rapey fucking scumbag, literally, and she has to come to terms with all this, and she does all this and battles these demons with her biological family there, literally, in order to make peace with it and accept the truth. It doesn't have to feel comfortable, uh, but she's not alone. You know, I know how it feels finding out that what you thought about your family all along isn't true. I remember being young and finding out that, you know, my my family who I had been raised by and had been raised around, um, that I was not blood related to them. I remember what it was like to find out, you know, where where my blood family was. And I know that feeling of abandonment um, because of some of my family members feeling that way. Um, so this really struck a chord with me. Um, it's not the same. Obviously, my situation and this fictional character's situation aren't exactly the same, but I found enough uh, similarities in there where I understand where she's coming from. Yeah, this is really good. This was just so good. So much of this was just so fucking heartfelt, and I, I so very highly recommend this to everybody. I, I wasn't crazy about rec- the retcon. I'm not crazy about retcons, you know. I don't know if this was necessary. It was never touched on again after this, like I mentioned before. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't feel like it was um, necessary. I understand her power isn't like teleportation. That's like a learned skill. But, you know, she her like actual power is the pixie dust. And that is similar to the Wingard family yeah so it's it's like it's kind of like their power so i guess i I get why they did that a little bit but you know it's never been brought up since so no i get you i mean the fact that it's been brought up since though is not Catherine imminent's fault no obviously not no no no, yeah i i know you know that what i'm saying is like she obviously like brought this up to the editors and they were like yeah cool do it and so she did it, and so she introduced something new into this particular X-Men character's history. And, you know, like with with most storylines out there, most details, things that happen, it, it can come back later. Another writer can take that thread and be like, oh, shit, I'm taking this and I'm going to run with it. And nobody has. And that's so upsetting. Now, I'm not saying that fucking Pixie and the Mastermind sisters need to have a fucking big family adventure or fucking road trip or something. Although I think that would be hilarious. Um, But I really cannot believe in all this time that no other writer has decided to pick that up and do something with it. Like, like I, I feel like I could be forgetting like a passing mention of it somewhere over the years in some dialogue. Um, But there has been no story like legitimately touching on this again. And, and it's crazy. So did you hate this whole thing because of that retcon? No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> I I didn't hate it. I I liked the story. I uh it was just that one you know thing that I felt like I should point out. All right. We are going to talk about just a little bit of Dracula. A friend of ours, uh Carlos has mentioned X-Men versus Dracula to us uh for a couple of years now. And so we're we're going to talk about it. It's one issue. Uh, X-Men versus Dracula number one is actually a reprint. So this original story was from Uncanny X-Men Annual number six from 1982, Claremont and Sienkiewicz. And X-Men versus Dracula is a reprint of that uh, from 1993. 
I don't know why they chose this. I don't know why in 1993 they decided to take this, slap a new cover on it. The, the new cover is nice. It's fine. And release it because I don't think there was any difference from the original. But it is what it is. He sent us the comic. And that was really nice of Carlos. This was a neat little story. You know, it was an annual. It's pretty self-contained. Uh, the X-Men had met Dracula before. Um, but this was like a standalone story. This was early in Sienkiewicz's career. The art was still very good. It was interesting because it wasn't stylized horror type, like when he got on New Mutants with the Demon Bear, but it was still really good art. It's just interesting to see like slightly different styles from him. So anyway, we meet Professor Rachel Van Helsing. Huh? That's a name. I know that name. You know that name, right? Professor, Professor Rachel Van Helsing gets a visit from Dracula. Whoopsie. Um, Oops. So it's probably not good news for Rachel Van Helsing. But at the mansion, Kitty is screaming. Kitty is screaming uh, and and pouting. She is shouting. She is let it all outing. <laughs> her parents are getting divorced. And like a teenager, she's making it all about her. They're not being fair to me. And uh, like, I guess she's upset. But she's, she's making it all about her. So she ends up crying herself to sleep. Uh, she wakes up in the middle of the night. Storm is a vampire. Storm drinks the blood of all the X-Men, and then she turns into a werebat, or a bat woman, if you will, and flies off to Dracula. Uh, and she finds Dracula, and they have a sexy moment, but then suddenly Storm wakes up. It was a nightmare. And Storm sleeps naked, by the way, which is nice. dope. I agree. I mean, nice. that makes sense. Why? Because she's all about nature and, you know, being naked. <laughs> yes. I mean, when I think of Storm, I think nature and naked. Those are the things Good. that Storm is all about. She's all about nature and all about naked. I mean, have we ever really seen Storm wearing clothes, to be exactly. honest? So Storm wakes from the nightmare. She puts on some clothes and she goes to fly away. And Kitty sees her, but all of a sudden Kitty is acting weird. But there was a shadow over Kitty's window. So maybe that's why she's acting weird. I don't know. But it's a stark contrast to how she behaved early in the issue. She goes and visits Colossus, and behind the closed door, it sounds like either there's something painful or there's something sexy or there's both. But Kitty is still underage, so let's hope that it's nothing sexy. Yeah, that's what I was worried about when I was reading this. I texted Jonathan, and I was like, oh no. Yeah. They're not having sex, are they? Yeah, it was It was not made clear with the art here, because she's, like, touching him as he's, like, trying to do art or something. And then the door closes. Yeah. But yeah, he, like, yells, and, like, you don't know what's happening. So Storm visits Dracula because she can she can sense that he's calling out to her. And Dracula still apparently has some control over Storm after they had met not too long before this came out. They fight a little bit, but basically he just tells her that he wants her to steal this book that contains a spell that will destroy all vampires. So fine. So she agrees to it. She goes into this fucking mansion in England. Dracula's there, pushes her to do it. Uh, he storms the thief. She breaks into the mansion. But all of a sudden she gets shot in the in uh, the back with an arrow and it's Kitty. And like, what the fuck is she doing? And Colossus is there too. But we can tell that something is wrong with Kitty. Like, why the fuck would she just randomly show up in England, shoot Storm in the back with an arrow? Clearly something is wrong with her. 
But Kitty was there for this book too. It's called the Montessi formula. And they managed to knock Storm out of a window. And she comes to in uh, Dracula's castle. And he is, you know, he's upset. He needs to get this fucking book. He is about to bite her to turn her into a vampire to power her up. When the X-Men show up, uh, they tracked the Blackbird when Kitty stole it and uh, tracked it to England. So, yeah, so they found Storm. So this is cool. There's some fighting. The art is really great. I really like this this neat trick where uh, Dracula throws a spear and Logan knocks it away and it goes to Kurt and then Kurt catches it, teleports it, and uses it to, uses it to stab through Dracula. I thought that was really neat. That was a super cool scene. Yeah. Rachel attacks Scott and she turns into mist and then she turns into a werewolf. And it's like, it's really fucking cool. Uh, but then Kitty and Colossus show up and Dracula runs away. And, and in the meantime, you know, because Kitty and Colossus, something is wrong with them. They're, they're willing to throw down with the X-Men too. Colossus slaps Logan in the face and he makes one of the funniest fucking faces I've ever seen in my life. Logan just looks, he looks stupid. I mean, stupider than normal Logan stupid. You know what I mean? <sighs> so yeah. So so Dracula ran away into the catacombs underneath the castle. The X-Men go down there too. But then Dracula bites Wolverine and th- like literally throws Wolverine at the X-Men. But then this weird acting, you know, Kitty, she she takes the Montessi formula and starts chanting the spell and Dracula starts melting, and these panels were really cool, but then all of a sudden, Kurt stops her, because somehow, Kurt knows that had she finished chanting that spell, she would have traded her soul. Surprised face. Wow, that's convenient that he knew that. It is very convenient that he knew it and remembered (laughs) that at that exact moment before she had finished. (laughs) Um, I agree. So then all of a sudden, Dracula's daughter reveals herself. That's who was controlling Kitty and Colossus. Big climactic reveal, I guess. Nah. <laughs> and what happened to Van Helsing at this point? Oh, she was there. She followed too. Uh, she, she, you know, this whole time, so she got bit at the beginning of the issue. She's been, you know, one of like, you know, she's been under Dracula's control but she finally said, fuck it. She picked up the spear and threw it uh, right through Dracula's heart and then made a cross and fucking burned him into a skeleton. Nice. So good for her. And then the place starts to crumble, right? The catacombs, X-Men, they all need to get out. But they conveniently couldn't get Dracula's remains out in time. Oh, no. It's okay, Patty, because Dracula will never, ever show up in a Marvel comic book again. I don't. Remember him showing up since, uh, what was this, 1983? Good year. I don't remember him showing up since then. Right, correct. So, uh, you sound right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody gets out. Uh, and this was rough, though. Rachel asks to be killed, and Storm offers to do it, and Logan's like, no, that's my thing. <laughs> he takes uh, a fucking stake and pulls Rachel in close to hug her and drives the stake through her. As he does it, she watches the sunrise and she smiles and she's just like, oh, pretty. And then, you know, dies. It was, that was a rough few panels. It's really effective. But so the thing is, is like this reveal that the person control that was possessing Kitty and controlling Colossus was Dracula's daughter, Lilith. It was, 
again, it was very anticlimactic because like her major contribution was telling Storm that Dracula's hold on her was like gone and that Kitty and Colossus were going to be okay. And so like the thing is, is like about these panels, Lilith's smile was like real evil, but she was delivering them good news. And Storm looked really angry, but she was getting good news. It just didn't like match the the dialogue. It was kind of funny. It was kind of supposed to be like, oh, Lilith is a villain here. She bad. We we hate her. But she just informed you that Dracula no longer holds control over you and Kitty and Colossus are okay. Like, everything was just undone. So fucking NBD. Like, I don't know. I just kind of chuckled at those final few panels because it just seemed like a, a weird, it just didn't seem like it fit. Yeah, um, I liked this as a whole better than the other one that we read. What, Apocalypse versus Dracula? Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot better. Um, that is not saying much. Wow. <laughs> the bar is not very high for that, but um, gotta give it to, uh, you know, Chrissy C here. As his friends call him. Yes, you know, we're friends. We're close personal friends with Chrissy C. So, uh, <laughs> oh my god, Daddy, no, I never want to meet that man again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm inviting him to our wedding, so you're gonna have to deal with that. Patty, no, Jonathan, no, it's my day, Patty, god, what the fuck? <laughs> Fine, then I'm inviting Jonathan Hickman. Oh, that's <laughs> not fair. Patty, it's also my day. It's our day. If you get one, I get one. No. Uh, okay. But those are the only guests we're inviting. <laughs> we're not having any friends or family there. I just want to see their interactions. Fine. So, yeah. So, this was a neat little story. Um, what I appreciated about this reprint were... Um, because I remember getting comics at this time, and I remember, you know, the ads that were in them. This particular issue had uh, an ad for the 1993 Marvel Masterpieces trading cards. I have that whole fucking set in a binder somewhere in my house. The video game NFL Quarterback Club, I have I have that for Sega, or I had it for Sega. The Turbo Controllers, where you could just, like, push a little switch, and it would, like you know, tap, like automatically tap A or X or whatever really fast so you didn't have to do it. And Game Genie. You remember Game Genie? Yes. Yes. I know somebody who had one. Me too. Did I have one? No, I don't remember. I did not. I don't know why I never got one, but I I never had one. Same though, I had a friend who had one. I remember using it a couple of times, but I never had one of my own. But anyway, this was a, this was a, a nice... You know, mostly Storm story. Uh, the art was great. It was cool to see her as a vampire, the whole Batwoman thing, although it was a little weird. I hated seeing her get wrecked by Dracula. Like, I know it's not like she was scared, but still, like her being choked and just thrown around by him. I just wanted to be like, oh, come on, Storm. Just fucking, like, bitch slap him across the face, you know? And uh, some of the, some like, the art was good, but some of it was great. Um, like the panels back and forth when Kitty was chanting and Dracula started melting. That was gross. When Wolverine killed Rachel, that was like rough, but also like amazing. 
I just thought the whole Lilith angle was kind of silly and anticlimactic, but otherwise, you know, it was a neat story, a lot of action, and it was good. Good times. Yeah. So that'll do it for this episode of Mutant Musings. Thanks for joining us, and don't forget to leave us a comment on geekade.com. Leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes or anywhere else you find our podcast. Follow us on Instagram at mutant underscore musings underscore podcast and on Twitter at mutant musings. Did you enjoy Pixie Strikes Back? Do you think Pixie will ever be featured heavily again? Stay tuned to our social media channels for an upcoming big announcement. And until then, Pixie was right. Tidy.